Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Before we get to Star Trek, which is what I called it until I was like 20 years old. (laughs) Star Trek. You remember, I uh, developed a standard as a young man. That I would just reject the companionship, the friendship, or any notion of respect of anybody who said Star Trek or pronounced chess chest. <laughs> now, the second one was as a kid. Uh, but yeah, Star Trek is it's a one strike and you're out scenario. <laughs> I wanted to get this on. Came across this the other day from uh, some history page on Facebook. Misfit history. Listen to this, married couples. In medieval Germany, married couples could legally settle their disputes by fighting a martial duel. To even the field, the man had to fight from inside a hole with one arm tied behind his back. The woman was free to move and was armed with a sack filled with rocks. How, wow. how big of a hole am I in here? Yeah, how deep? I'm trying mean, to handicap this. In this. Is it like knee-high, waist In this high? picture, he's up to his butt, his waist. Okay. With one huh. arm tied behind his back. And she's got a sack of rocks. Wow! And what's he armed with? Just his fist? I guess. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta hook her ankle, right, Sean? Yank that leg out from under. What, what do you call that in the MMA? Uh, it's a, it's a heel hook, or no, heel yeah. hook is like a submission thing. That that's just more of just kind of a trip. Your traditional judo single trip. leg yeah. takedown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or being in a lot of pillow fights recently with my son. With, with God, some of those Tempur-Pedic pillows will make you dizzy. <laughs> oh yeah. You got to duck, they swing, it goes by, then you grab it when they don't have any momentum. So right. you, you have to do that with her with the sack of rocks. It misses you, you, you grab it. Take advantage of when the momentum, or the, the, the balance is off. Yeah. yeah. And then, then what, you punch your wife in the head, and then she <laughs> says, you're right, honey, you win. <laughs> and then well, happily ever after. Well, what's right? the reverse? She beats you down with a sack of rocks. And- <laughs> And you say, you're right, honey. Okay, fine. And happily ever after. We'll put drapes up. It's fine. (laughs) Tell you what. Ancient uh, Germany was no place for wussies. Okay, well, go to your sister's. Jeez. (laughs) Jack, hit me in the head with a sack of rocks. Quit hitting me in the head with a sack of rocks. (laughs) We can go to your parents. We'll keep the throw pillows. I don't care that they're only decorative. It's fine. It's fine. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Anywho, back to this. Honored day. It is William Shatner's birthday. He is 90 years old. He was uh, the star of Star Trek for three seasons in the 60s. But that's, that's right. Just three. That's sh- wow. Show lives on like no other show. Is, is there anything else that had such a, a little initial fanfare, but has lived so long? I don't know. Maybe Batman. Maybe the original Batman. I think. Yeah, I think Batman was way more successful at the time. Anyway. Um, William Shatner went on to uh, become, you know, kind of a cult, kitschy pop figure, and then he was on Boston Law, Boston Legal, Boston, Legal. Boston yeah. Legal, and he won Emmys on that, right? So I enjoyed that show. I thought there was good writing on it. It was him and James Spader, I think, were the two yeah. main main people. Yeah. So he's had a long career. He was on T.J. Hooker too. Oh, that's oh, yeah. right, T.J. That's Hooker. right. And then a whole bunch of Star Trek remakes, movies, and whatnot, which were quite good. Yeah, most of them. Um, so we've got this clip from years ago. I believe this to be a, a, a voice recording session. I don't know if it was for a scripted thing or maybe a sponsorship, but, uh, we, we got, we got Shatner, uh, being attempted to get coached up by somebody who's, who's wanting him to deliver a message in a specific way. Okay. Here we go. 
This is William Shatner, and I would like to invite you to take a journey with me into the 21st century. So take the next few minutes and listen very closely. You'll be amazed at what you hear. Okay? Um, can there be a little more uh, excitement in the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. All right. It sounded like really laid, you know, really super laid back. Well, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm saying, uh, okay, uh, I'll try and do that. Let's do take two. <laughs> this is William Shatner, and I would like to invite you to take a journey with me into the 21st century. So take the next few minutes and listen very closely. Um, well, uh, speak up, uh, uh, and and maybe you better do it, do it the way you hear it. Tell, do it for me. No, I mean just uh, go ahead. Uh, this is William Shatner, and I would like to invite you to take a journey with me into the 21st century. So take the next few minutes and listen very closely. You'll be amazed at what you hear. Is that the way you'd like me to do it? <laughs> okay, I'll do it that way. Okay, ready. This is William Shatner, and I would like to invite you to take a journey with me into the 21st century. So take the next few minutes and listen very closely. You'll be amazed at what you hear. Okay, so is, did, I think that came pretty close. I'm sorry. Are you making fun of me? Uh, no, I'm doing. I'm. Uh, I, no, no, I was. I believe that you asked. That was about the way you did it. I wasn't jesting. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I don't know. Maybe. No, no. I, I I insist. Now, what I want you to do is on. Pay, is that satisfactory to you? No, because if your mouth were open, you'd have popped some pills in them. So, do the next paragraph for me so I can get an idea of how you want it. This is uh, page two. Well, I, I don't know. I, I really don't want to because I think you, you actually have a better, much better. Feeling. No, I don't think I do. I would like to hear you read the second paragraph so I can so I can do it that way. Wow. Uh, let me hear. No, I like it better the way you did. <laughs> I insist that you show me how to do page two. Oh, please. <laughs> I, really, I mean it. Please, read page uh, so I can get an idea of what you want. Right, no, no, I'm going to do it the way you, you think it should go. No, I am going to do it the way you're reading it. Okay? I know you're here to see that I do it the way the company wants it, so I'm going to do it the way you read it. Well, but I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want you to do it. But you're telling me how you want me to do it. Well, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I am going to do it your way. Cease. No, there's no apology necessary. You, you know what you want. You know what you want. No, I don't. I mean, I really don't. Well, I mean, you come in here and you don't know what you want? Well, I come in here because I know you're a professional, I mean, and, and you know how to do it, and I'm sorry I even said anything. No, I am going to do it the way you want. Every paragraph. And you'll send it back to town, and you'll see whether, you know, I hope it's, it will please everybody else. As long as I'm pleasing you, that's all that matters. Mr. Shaw, would you please, you know, I, I don't feel right about doing it, really. Well, no, you felt you wanted something done on the first paragraph. I'm trying to do what you want. Okay, let's lay down the second paragraph.
And that's where it ends. Wow. Wow. He was wow. not going to let up on that dude. Jeez, relax, William. No, I disagree. I thought that was brilliant. Well, I think that, he made That his... was a guy who never stopped smiling. He never resulted, he never resorted to invective or obscenity or personal insult, but he hey, made he had the his pill point. Line. You don't, yeah, yeah he oh, did there have, was that. There was that. You don't think he'd made his point at some, at some era? Okay. So now we understand how this uh, relationship works and he could have just gone on with it. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure the relationship can continue. Oh, well, it wasn't going to by the end. No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's fine. Try to, try to do it with a little more excitement in your voice. No, I understand how that would rub you the wrong way. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I th- I think Shatner decided. What point in his career was that? I wonder. Oh, judging by his voice, it was later. Uh, Boston legal era would be oh, my guess. Really? So he's really rich, really successful, beloved at this point. Probably. And some producers saying yeah, a little more excitement. But the best part is the guy's read back. <laughs> <laughs> how to do it is so you know sing-songy amateurs and that's just hilarious and the the talent of shatner his read back was remarkably yeah. similar yes. to the bad read that the guy just did you know jack i get your point <laughs> that, that he he could have let him up off the floor but he obviously made the decision no you're leaving this room he had her you're he, done he had the guy up to his waist in a hole and he's beating him with a sack of rocks <laughs> And he just what, he got an angry German wife. <laughs> <laughs> nein, nein, stop mit the rocking hittens. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I forewarn you. Let's go, Brandon. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Paul Simon. One of my favorite songwriters, certainly one of the great American songwriters of all time, um, little, arguably the great American songwriter, little, as if you need to pick one. Little balding Jewish guy? That's the guy, yep. He sold his entire songwriting catalog, including classics like Bridge Over Troubled Water, Sound of Silence, is still crazy after all these years, to Sony Music Publishing, the latest of these giant super blockbuster uh, sales. For how much? Uh, I don't think the number is out, or if it's out, I haven't seen it. Uh, Bob Dylan sold his catalog of more than 600 songs, which is plenty, for more than 300 million. Uh, Neil Young sold his for about 150. Stevie Nicks got 100 million for wow. a majority, a majority of her rights. So Paul Simon, I mean, it could easily be in the Bob Dylan range of 300, why, 400 why, million. Why, and this all happened like in the last couple of weeks, right? Why, why, why now? Last few months, anyway, yeah. I, you know, I think a lot of it is these classic rock gods are getting on in years, and it's a giant payday. And there, there's also the transition of, we, we've seen this a lot in kind of the video streaming stuff, but uh, streaming platforms, the magnets that they need are content. If I am Sony streaming, I don't even know if they have a music streaming platform, but if I own the rights to all of this person's music and the only place you can get it is on my streaming thing, then I will get X amount more subscribers. Is that the way it's going it. to work? Because like, I, I can get Bob Dylan music on my Apple. I don't know. I'm making parallels to the like oh, that the, would streaming, suck. the streaming wars. If it, if it goes the no, direction no. of uh, the TV stuff where I can only watch Breaking Bad on Netflix, but I can only watch... 
uh, 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 Game of Thrones on Hobo, or yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if it becomes, I can, uh, I, I can only hear Dylan on my Apple. But if I want to listen to Springsteen, I've got to have the Spotify. That would suck. You know, I could be swinging and missing, but as a guy who's been, you know, a student of the music industry for a long time, I, I think it's partly that a guy like Paul Simon, what is his catalog going to be worth in thirty years for his heirs? As opposed to a big payday invested now. Not I mean, much. Well, right, because streaming is so much worse a uh, stream of revenue than record sales ever were. Well, and I think the lasting impact of a lot of this music is going to be much less than a lot of hippies thought at the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's why I've resisted buying any music memorabilia. Even when I got to the point in my life where I could afford something really, really cool that would mean a lot to me, I realized, right, this is just going to go down in value. Nobody's going to care much about Keith Richards in 25 years. They just won't. How is Stevie Nicks a third of Bob Dylan's worth, though, for the catalog? I'm going to come up with these amounts. I don't know. Maybe it's like in real estate where the first 2,000 square feet of a house are worth a certain amount. But once you get up past a certain square footage, it doesn't just keep going up. I sure. mean, a, an 8,000 square foot house is not worth 20% more than a... It's not a, a linear Whatever, 6,000. Right, exactly. Thank you, Sean. You uh, paid attention uh, at least briefly in math class. I okay, congratulate that, you. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Art Garfunkel doesn't really write songs, so he's got to be thinking, well, damn it. Wish I'd learned to write songs. That's a fun name. Art Garfunkel. It is fun. Everything oh, about yeah. that is just a good time. It's got the Art Gar, so that's uh, mm-hmm. assonance. You got funk. You can't say Garfunkel without saying funk. I've been saying that for years. Come on. Got a voice like an angel, Artie, but I don't want to bore anybody with music talk. I don't know. Although, you know, it's funny. When we do music-related one more things, music fans love it. People that aren't don't. Sports fans hate it. They can go to hell. Art Garfunkel, a hell of a third baseman, too, for the... uh... But do we do, for the Brooklyn Curly Heads? But do we, but do we have any answer to this question? Is uh, whoever bought Bob Dylan's songs are they gonna like? You can't have them. They're mine, 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 all mine. They just sit in their house and listen to them over and over, and nobody else ever gets to hear one again. I mean, how does that work? That's what I'd do. Well, there are all sorts of different licensing levels for different uses of music. I mean, do you own them on them? If you wanted to be a jerk, could you buy Bob Dylan's catalog and nobody gets to hear it anymore? Oh, that's a great question. Could I make it so the only place you could hear Bob Dylan is on a Peeps commercial? You, yeah, or, or you got to come to my house. You want to hear like a Rolling Stone? Come over a Friday night. Otherwise, you're out of luck. <laughs> well, and, and listen, I tell you what, just to play out that idea, um, if it's possible, I could see, you know, you'd, you'd have like a really nice place with fine food and wine and the rest of it. And then you'd do a little presentation on Paul Simon, Simon Garfunkel and his music. And the, it's the only place on earth then you could listen to the boxer. I mean, you could charge yuppies 15000 bucks to throw for that. Oh, sure. What about or if more? I have a hologram Bob Dylan singing it on stage while they're eating their yes. fancy pants dinner? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So do you remember... Welcome to the uh, Joe Getty Bob Dylan Museum, the only place you can hear my music. <laughs> I'm thinking it was the late How 80s. the pork chops? They're good. <laughs> Hope you're enjoying the pork chops. Every night we have pork chops. I get the Nobel Prize for tenderness on my pork chop. Um, uh, what was I going to say? I have no idea. I had something. Oh, do you remember? It was like late 80s, around. I'm guessing like around 1990, when Nike 
somehow got use of the Beatles song Revolution, and that was like super controversial because all the freaking hippies who the Beatles were it's so important to, the fact that the music was now just used crassly to sell shoes, it was such a big deal. Now it just, now it just seems stupid. Why wouldn't yeah. any song be used for any reason you want to use it for? Who cares? But it was like a big moment. Yeah, I read an interview with Pete Townsend of The Who, and he, he he mentioned that, look, people bitch at me for selling Won't Get Fooled Again to GM for six months or whatever. <laughs> he says, I do something like that. I can do something purely for art's sake for the next year. Well, and who cares? So screw you. Well, it's who, my song. Who cares on any level? Right. I don't care right. whether you use the money to, to fund orphans or uh, buy cocaine. Who cares? <laughs> buy cocaine for orphans. Why would it bother anybody to <laughs> keep the orphans up all night? They're jabbering away. <laughs> Why would it bother anybody if their favorite song was used for a Ford truck commercial? I don't, well, I it doesn't think bother it, has, it, it makes an emotional connection with you. It's art. It's it's authentic. It's the songwriter expressing themselves. And now they're trying to sell me a toaster oven with it? It's grass. It's terrible. God, that's, I could, that's the argument. I could write a song about, you know, my father's death or something like really touching and close to me. And if you used it for a Peeps commercial and wanted to give me a million dollars, where do I sign? <laughs> <You> sold. <laughs> Peeps does more advertising in your minds than, than I think in reality. You don't have to advertise Peeps. Everybody wants them. Especially music related advertisements. Somehow in this podcast, that's a, that's a thing. <laughs> The answer, my friend, is covered with pink sugar. Hi, I'm Bob Dylan for Peeps. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now, he. Strong and Getty. Before COVID, the median family income in the United States was about 65 grand a year. At Yale, it's three times that. The median family income of a Yale University student is 192,000 a year. That's the median. At the University of Pennsylvania, it's about 196,000 a year. At Brown University in Providence, it's 204,000. These are all Ivy League schools with multi-billion dollar endowments, endowments heavily subsidized by you through your tax dollars. So they could afford to educate poor kids, they just choose not to. At Princeton, 72% of students come from families in the top 20% nationally for household income. Nobody seems to have any plans to change any of this. Uh, we're going to play more of that from Tucker Carlson last night. I find this to be just a really interesting conversation. And I don't want to get. I I I worry about like uh, you know not not understanding it enough and getting too far down the road of just you know raw populism. But we do get lectured all the time by the elite universities about the importance of diversity. Yeah, huh. as as you heard there, they're they're the richest among us at all these colleges. Unless you think all the rich people have the smartest kids, and that wouldn't make any sense from any biological standpoint whatsoever, there's something going on there where the wealthy are uh, sending their kids to the most elite universities, then lecturing the rest of us about the importance of diversity in our neighborhoods and lives and schools. There's not diversity in their neighborhoods or workplaces or schools, but there has to be in ours where we're bad people. Right. Which is really interesting. That is terribly annoying. 
Uh, I would say as a guy who's shepherded three kids now through college that it's not the smartest kids. It's the kids with the greatest academic achievement. And the more wealth you have, the more tools you have to get that going. It can't make up for a kid who just can't, you know, rub two brain cells together, but it it does help. So it is self-perpetuating in that way. Yeah, and so it contributes to the class system that we have uh, developed in the United States. And this is what Tucker's talking about, uh, talking about a little more of that. So here's our advice to the members of the woke professional class at the Times and elsewhere who are about to discover that their own rules might actually apply to themselves. Here's our advice. Stop complaining. When you discover that your own children's life plans have been thwarted due to some new imperative of social justice, don't say a word. Don't whine or moan or file a lawsuit. Don't even acknowledge it's happening. Just accept it. It's not like you can pretend you didn't know the meritocracy was fake. You single-handedly destroyed it yourselves. For years, you thought you had an exemption to the rules that you made. You imagined that challenging power applied only to other people's families. Sorry, the revolution has finally come for you. You pictured your kids graduating from the local friend's school and moving on to Cornell to immerse themselves in gender studies and international relations. Oh, but not anymore. It's a new era. Again, an era that you designed. Now your kids will be taking the bus to a poultry processing facility in rural Iowa to begin their new lives serving the critical culinary needs of the people they replace, the ones now going to Cornell. And maybe someday, if they're lucky, your kids can learn to code. But no matter what happens to them over the next several generations, don't fret. And once again, above all, don't complain. Complaining is racist. Diversity is our strength. We're a nation of immigrants. That's the main idea of America, which as you have often told us, is simply an idea, not a nation. Now, all of this might be hard for you to see right now. It's painful, and we get it. Because it's happening to you, it might even seem unjust. Trust us, it's not unjust. It's the definition of justice. That, I I find that really interesting. Books could be written about that. College classes could be taught about that. This this effort among the elite who go to these universities that are so so white and so rich... Wanting the rest of the country to get to, to, to emphasize diversity and talking about diversity as our strength and all these different mm-hmm. things. If it actually, if the diversity that they're talking about for the rest of us actually comes to them, as Tucker points out, you know, you might not like the results. Oh, the no, they would have a heart out. attack. Yeah. Right. You, as he says, you might be working at the, at the, uh, at the, at the, 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 the chicken beheading plant in the middle of Iowa. And the kids <laughs> that grew up in that, that local town might be going to the university that you were supposed to go to. Yeah. And, uh, things could get real upside down real fast. And we've been talking about this for years. It drives me crazy. The people in power that talk all the time about immigration, for instance, and how good it is for the country. Nothing's changing in their neighborhoods. Their neighborhoods are exactly the same. If anybody's speaking Spanish, it's because they, you know, they got the gate code from you and came in and trimmed your hedges, but they're going back out again. Right. Your, your schools are still all white and English speaking, or certainly upper class in English speaking, um, uh, from an income standpoint. And the rest of us are supposed to like all the diversity that's happening. And if we don't like it, we're clearly bad people. Yeah, although the sort of diversity that comes to the elite universities, for instance, is a bunch of incredibly rich people who may have different skin tones, but all think the same and are from the same neighborhoods and the same yacht clubs. It is still very white, though. I remember talking about the numbers on this after um, 
after the scandal broke of uh, people faking their kids into uh, you know various sports and that sort of stuff, mm. uh, Lawrence Summers, the guy who used to run Harvard, um, uh, talking about how he looked out his window one day and he, and he thought. I only see white kids out there. What is going on? And they started looking into it, and then they made real reforms to try to get, you know, Harvard to look at least more like America, um, uh, you know, just on the statistics, because it's whiter than America. It was whiter than America was at Harvard. And he thought, why is it that way when we talk about any, and he tried to put in all these different, um, you know, programs and everything like that, and nothing has changed over the years. Huh. So it, the system is still rigged toward people with enough money getting in all these universities, which might be fine as long as you're not trying to force all this supposed diversity on the rest of us against our will. Right, right. And it's not the... um, you got to be careful when you talk about this because it's not the idea that uh, we have any problem with diversity per se. It's the the means used to, to enforce it or to force it upon people whether it's uh, quota systems or the horrific, woke, anti-racist education that's not about diversity, it's about power. Um, yeah, the, the whole university system is just so bad. Are any point. of those people who want uh, what they call diversity, are their kids going to a school where the teacher has to stop school and type into their phone uh, what they just said so their phone will spit out in a different language? And the whole class has to stop for one kid who doesn't speak English. And the teacher is now going to uh, slow down all the learning to try to help this kid who doesn't speak English. Are there kids going to a school like that who came up with these ideas? Probably not. No, no. I would like to see a mass movement of the Brahmins of Wall Street, the elite of Harvard, Yale, and Brown, sending their kids to inner city schools where there are fistfights in the classroom constantly. Where the rules say the teacher can't kick you out for open insubordination. You want some diversity? Supply diversity. Send your little rich kid to those schools. Those stats. I like the idea of having a Harvard or Yale or, or whatever where the smartest kids in the country get in. I love the idea of that. That's, 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 uh, we all benefit from that. Um, having the, the, the people that have the most talent in whatever area it is being able to utilize that to its fullest is great for all of us. But I don't think that's happening if you've got those statistics that Tucker just gave us on income. That, that's, that's not what's occurring. Right. Right. Yeah, I get that. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Depression. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Of those 400 cases, the majority of those, 80, 85%, maybe even 90, you have individuals both inside and outside the Capitol that breached the Capitol, trespassed. You also have individuals, roughly over 100, that we've charged with assaulting federal officers and local police officers. The 10% of the cases, I'll call the more complex conspiracy cases, where we do have evidence, it's in the public record, where individual militia groups from different facets, Oath Keepers, Three Percenters, Proud Boys, did have a plan, we don't know what the full plan is, to come to D.C., organize, and breach the Capitol in some manner. That's from 60 Minutes last night, and they interviewed a number of people about uh, what happened on January 6th and where they are now in the investigation. A couple of things that stood out to me. They still are not sure to what level it was coordinated. They believe it is, but they haven't found any evidence yet. So whatever groups were involved in coordinating their actions, they they 
were on the dark web or sending mail or something like that because mm. they, they 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 haven't caught them on the internet yet. Um, there were groups, and they showed some of the videos that got into that left the rally early, headed to the Capitol. They were the people that were the most armed up. They had their bear spray and all the things that they needed and weapons and that sort of stuff. And they got into military formations that you would have to coordinate. Yeah. And train. Um, you wouldn't accidentally do that, but they've got no evidence of that. So they're not exactly sure who the ringleaders were or how that happened. So I, th- I thought that was really interesting. Well, I think they're going to probably find out that it, it goes in layers. You had those small groups that were highly organized. They recognized each other on the scene and kind of were ad hoc organized. Just, you know, they came together kind of. And then you got the masses of the people who were just yahoos who thought, look, the Capitol's open. And they were completely unorganized. Yeah. Um. Also, they arrested some of the most high-profile people and made that known quickly to deter anything for the inauguration because their big concern was this is they're going to come back for the inauguration and that's going to be a huge battle. So they right off the bat got the guy with the horns, the guy with his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desks. You know, some of the most high-profile people they got that out within days. Look, we're and they know from looking at chatter that that. Made a lot of people think, oh, no, we better back off because of this, because of that. So hmm. they, they tried to send a message, and it appears that it worked, that they're going to have to come up with a different tactic. Yeah, I, it's on the DVR. I can't wait to watch it. But I saw from the tease, they, they still have a hell of a lot of people they're looking for, right? Yeah, there are, I think, a dozen of the most violent people that they haven't caught yet. They put their pictures out on Friday, and I think they caught a couple over the weekend. Because, you know, in the modern world, you get those pictures out, and there'll be somebody that says, yeah, I work with that guy, or you know, he's my gardener, or whatever. Um, uh, but some of the most violent people, I mean, that were just, you know, beaten on cops with flagpoles as they laid on the ground. Just awful oh, stuff. God, you got to find those people. God, I'd say you need to find those people. I'd, I'd, you know what? I don't want them to be mentioned within 100 miles of my ideology. No. I, j- I want those people jailed. I want them prosecuted. I can't imagine Sick. what the the hardest of the hardcore thought they were actually going to accomplish that day. I, There's I like, a lot of crazy people in the world. There are a lot of people who can't reason, and a lot of them spend their time angry. Did you think you were going to abduct Pence or kill him or 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 scare the Senate into not making Biden president? And they just say, oh, okay, I guess Trump will be president. Did you think that was going to happen? I would have loved to have heard some of those guys explain. Yeah, what's the ultimate here? What's or, how's this? What's the result? Or maybe they just see themselves as patriots doing the right thing. We might lose, but I'm going to go down fighting, doing the right thing. Maybe that's what they would say in their mind. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other things on politics that I was thinking about over the weekend. One, this came out yesterday. This could be huge. I was confused by this at the time when Trump got booted off Twitter. It is amazing how little we've heard from Donald Trump since he got booted off Twitter. And I thought. How can that be? How can one guy make a decision that silences the most famous man on earth? It doesn't mm-hmm. silence him, but it cut way down the amount you hear from him. He had 90 million Twitter followers. And I just, you know, I didn't think that much more about it. Well, yesterday, uh, somebody in the Trump orbit said on one of the shows that uh, you'll be hearing from the president on a new platform in the coming months. And the speculation that is that he either bought a platform or created a new app. And I'm surprised this didn't happen like days after he got kicked off Twitter. Couldn't he hire some Silicon Valley guy to create an app? And like within a couple of days, you have 90 people following that. 
90 million? 90 million. I mean, yeah, yeah. 90 million people fall out. Why didn't that happen? Um, that's an interesting question. Those Either, 90 million would download the app and follow him, I think. Most of them. Yeah, but he had alternatives. Honestly, it's possible that there are long-term plans being hatched. On the other hand, there's part of me that goes back to what I thought during the campaign way back in 2015, 2016, that Trump wasn't, he never expected to win. He never expected to be the president. And while he was president, he really enjoyed it in a lot of ways, but he really hated it in a lot of ways. And that there was a large part of him that was happy as hell to go back to Mar-a-Lago, play golf, and chill with his buddies. And I just suspect he was enjoying chilling with his buddies. Yeah, I saw him quoted today saying, whether I run or not, the Republicans have a deep bench. And I don't know if that's a tell or not. Doesn't sound like the sort of thing you would say if you were, like, super excited about running. Oh, no, absolutely not. That's huge. The Republicans have a deep bench. There it is. There's your message. You think? Yeah. Yeah, I'm out. Interesting. Um, But one more thing about the sucky, sucky Republican Party. Couldn't be more sucky. So, how last, so, sir? And last week I was talking about how, what a stupid angle it was to go after that one woman who, Near was, a tandem, yep. who, who was mean tweeting at senators and making sure she didn't make it and not spending their political capital on Javier Becerra, who's now Secretary of Health and Human Services, one of the biggest budgets in all of the world. And he's got extreme views on all the kind of things that conservatives care about, but they, they spent all their bullets on that woman who mean tweeted. Just, just dumb politics, I think. Mm. Another thing that's dumb politics, and I'm still trying to figure out exactly why. I read a great article called While You Were Seussing, and it's about how the Republicans, the weak, the very weak, that a $2 trillion changing the way America works law got passed the republicans try decided to make dr seuss the main issue i'm not one of those that thinks dr seuss is a dumb issue but if you're trying to get the public's attention the very week socialism is being passed in the congress that's not the week for the speaker of the house to be up there reading green eggs and ham he actually read green eggs and ham on the floor to make dr seuss the subject on one of the key days of of voting and arguing about this $2 trillion package that the more I learn about is one of the most important efforts to change America that have happened in a 100 years. 90% nothing to do with COVID. 90% nothing to do with COVID, almost entirely with just changing America in a different way that the liberals have wanted forever. And much more socialist is the direction it's going. And the Republican Party, either because they were scared or didn't think they had the backing or because the the, the 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 polls showed popularity for it hey you know why the polls showed it being popular because you haven't put up your argument yet yeah if you let your opponent define the terms sure it's popular but if kevin mccarthy and all the other republicans had made a point of trying to educate american what was in the damn thing maybe you could have driven those numbers down but they didn't they talked about dr seuss instead uh, do you like green eggs and ham and the I do not like them, Sam. I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. And the point of the while you were seussing uh, article, you know, to take off on while you were sleeping, is just this is what happened while you were paying attention to Dr. Seuss. And it goes through the bill and the, uh, you know, untangling work from welfare and all the various 
super liberal progressive things that happened with this law. Yeah, we have we became France last week, and and nobody's talking about it. a couple of and things. The opposition party put up no fight. I think what they might tell you if they were going to be honest <clears throat> is a we don't have the media. We can't we can't combat a narrative that's this universal that it's checks because of COVID. It's relief checks because of COVID when it's. 90% restructuring American society and turning us into France. They can't get, they can't counter that narrative without the media. Second thing they would have told you <clears throat> is you get an issue like Dr. Seuss that's great for fundraising. Explaining oh, legislation, hurts. we can't raise any money on that. It's that too complicated. Hurt. That hurts. People get a headache, their eyes glaze over. That hurts. Grow up, Jack. It's about checks in the mail today. We became France and there was no pushback. Nope. That's unbelievable. I do not like green croissants and ham. I do not like them, Pierre, I am. I brought in Michael a dozen farm fresh eggs today, and then I find out he doesn't eat eggs. He doesn't like any eggs and ham. Any eggs of any kind? No, no, I don't eat eggs. How do you not like scrambled eggs? I got to think that I got sick on them when I was young or something. That's the only explanation. I can't stand the smell. I can't stand the texture. It just bothers me. It's Fried proof. eggs on corned beef hash is proof God loves us, Michael. Got a fried egg on a piece of toast with butter. Ooh. It's proof that God loves us. Armstrong and Getty.